Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the 2021 federal budget and what financial planning issues or opportunities might arise from it. Uh, and what I plan to do is just go through or summarise the the key uh, initiatives announced in the budget that impact uh, people on a personal level. Uh, and there are a couple of business ones in there as well uh, that are noteworthy. Uh, and then I'll wrap up by giving you a sort of summary uh, from my opinion about whether these uh, initiatives are going to work uh, and whether they're going to have any real impact on uh, markets and so forth. So there's, uh, the first two is really to help, uh, the first two I want to talk about uh, are really to help uh, first home buyers. So the first one is the uh, First Home Super Saver Scheme. Um, that essentially allows people, first home buyers, uh, to use their super fund as a savings mechanism. Uh, so uh, there's, two re- there's two options for people um, that, that want to save after-tax dollars in order to accumulate a deposit so they can get into the property market. The first one is the traditional way, which is uh, you earn an income, you pay your income tax, and then you uh, spend as little as you, you possibly can and save as much as you possibly can. Uh, the downside to that strategy is that you have to pay tax at your marginal rate and if you're a higher income earner, then potentially you're paying a, a tax rate of 39 or 47% on that marginal income that you could otherwise save. So the first home super saver scheme was uh, launched about three or four years ago that said, okay, if you make voluntary contributions into your super fund, those contributions are typically only taxed at a flat tax rate of 15%. Uh, And if you do that, uh, and then you go and buy your first home, uh, you can withdraw those voluntary additional contributions uh, and use it to contribute towards that deposit. And the benefit of doing that is, as I said, instead of paying tax at, say, 39 or 47% in the dollar, uh, then you're paying tax at 15%. So you really increase your savings. So uh, I've got a worked example in the show notes in the blog on the website, um, but potentially people can save 40% more on an after-tax basis if they use this first home super saver scheme. Now, when it was announced a few years ago, the amount was capped at $30,000. Uh, $30,000 isn't enough for most people for a deposit for a home. So, I mean, that's the first kind of criticism of it is it's helpful, uh, but not that helpful helpful. Uh, uh, the, the, the other th- thing to point out is that um, compulsory contributions into super, so the employer contributions, the 9.5%, which will soon be 10%, uh, these are quarantine. You can't access them. So, you know, when people criticise the first home super saver scheme uh, for, um, you know, allowing people to take super out, it's really only these voluntary additional contributions that arguably people, young people, wouldn't have otherwise made. Um, if it wasn't, if they didn't have the ability to access them to, to buy a, a property. Uh, so obviously higher income earners, you know, people earning over $120,000 probably have the most to gain from this uh, scheme or strategy uh, because of the income tax uh, savings that it provides. Uh, and in the budget this year, the key uh, initiative was that they ca- increased the capped amount from thirty dollars to $50,000. Uh, arguably, they they sh- you know it should be higher if it's going to be effectual. 
$50,000, you know, ability to save $50,000 at a 15% tax rate is good, of course. It's helpful. Um, but uh, we all know that the property market and property prices uh, can move much faster than what those tax savings uh, will save you. You know, even if you save ten grand in tax uh, or, or even fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, you know, the price of a property can move in those increments over the space of one or two weeks. Uh, so um, I'm not sure it's really going to hit that mark. The second one is the Home Loan Deposit Scheme. Uh, this is a scheme that that's, has very limited places, but allows people to go and borrow more than 80% of a property's value, people, first-home buyers, uh, and, uh, and the government will guarantee the portion above 80%. So normally you'd have to pay for lender's mortgage insurance, which might cost 3 or 4% of the loan amount, pretty sizable amount, and eats into people's deposits. So one way to alleviate the cost to get into the market is to for the government to provide a guarantee. People can borrow 95% and they don't have to pay for mortgage insurance. Well, they're going to, they announced in the budget, they're going to make available another 10,000 places uh, in that scheme uh, and a further 10,000 places over the next four years for eligible single parents with dependents, uh, so single mothers and fathers uh, that have a 2% deposit uh, are able to you know get into the property market. Ten thousand people, ten thousand places. Uh, it uh, it seems like a good policy on the face of it, but uh, ten thousand uh, places really isn't going to have any uh, major impact. The next thing I'd like to talk about is a childcare subsidy. They've made some changes there. The first one is uh, after one July this year. The cap, which is about $10,500 per child, uh, is lifted, so there is no cap now. The second initiative is that they will increase the subsidy by about 30%. Uh, haven't seen the detail on this yet. Uh, up to a maximum subsidy of 95%, obviously 95% for those people that uh, are on lower incomes. Uh, but that's a, that's a good outcome. Uh, a couple of business initiatives now. So the company tax rate... Uh, which is currently 26.5% uh, for base rate entities. And a base rate entity is a company that has 50 million or less of revenue per year. Uh, well, that drops to 25% uh, after 1 July, so corporate tax rate 25%. Uh, about four or five years ago, the corporate tax rate was a flat 30%. Uh, so that's a pretty significant reduction over that period of time. Uh, and uh, so if you're a, a, a small business entity, a base rate entity, uh, there is a small advantage to bringing forward tax deductions into this financial year uh, as opposed to next financial year when you're paying a lower tax rate. Uh, a couple of other um, initiatives for business, uh, they extended uh, two initiatives by an additional year. So the first one is the loss carryback uh, initiative, which means that up until 2223, uh, if you record a loss, uh, you can uh, offset that loss against previously taxed profits. So you can claw back uh, tax as far back as 2018, 2019. Uh, so that's going to help uh, businesses that are continue to be impacted by COVID uh, that were previously uh, profitable. So that's a good strategy. Uh, the second one is the temporary full expensing um, of uh, otherwise depreciable assets. Uh, so if uh, and up until 30 June 2023. 20, uh, um, uh, so that means if there's a large investment, you can expense it in, in one year, which is uh, you know encouraging businesses to reinvest, I guess. Uh, 
a couple of other, uh, one random uh, tax rule change and then a couple on super. Uh, the random tax rule change is that they're going to simplify the tax residency rules. Uh, so whether you're an Australian tax resident or not, previously or really currently, those rules are, are quite murky. Um, they're really based on a couple of tests and the, uh, the, the facts of the case. Uh, and really, uh, a lot of this is embedded in uh, case law. Uh, so it's quite subjective um, and makes it uh, really a complex process to uh, determine whether, in, in some situations, whether someone's a resident or non-resident. Uh, and uh, over the, the past few years, we've been uh, encouraged really, or been encouraging clients uh, for us to arrange private rulings on their behalf because it is so uh, murky and the consequences, tax consequences of being a resident versus not uh, can be significant as well. So the government's announced they're going to uh, rewrite those tax rules, uh, make them a lot clearer, uh, reduce them just to a couple of tests and uh, that should make tax planning easier. Um, although uh, I wonder uh, whether the government's obviously going to take a stance uh, given that they tax non-residents at much higher rates uh, whether they'll make it take a stance, I'm sure they probably will, uh, that they will um, force people to become residents, uh, sorry, non-residents, um, um, more often than what it was uh, was the case uh, under case law, but watch this space. Uh, two uh, super changes uh, that uh, could um, help uh, retirees. Uh, the first one is um, the removal of the work test. So anyone between 67 and 74 that wanted to contribute into super had to meet what's called the work test. Uh, and the work test is that they had to have worked 40 hours in any uh, 30 consecutive days throughout the year. So they've got to be doing some sort of uh, gainful employment. Uh, and if they meet that, then they, then they have access to the normal concessional and non-concessional contribution caps. Well, the government has announced they're going to remove the work test which means that anyone between 67 and 74 can make a concessional, tax deductible or non-concessional, so after-tax contributions into super. So really anyone, uh, any retiree between 67 and 74 that has uh, any reasonable wealth outside of super um, uh, might be able to take advantage of that by moving some of that wealth into a, what is a zero-tax environment in pension phase. Uh, the next one was uh, the downsizer contribution. So a few years ago, they introduced the ability uh, for people, if they sold their home, and there's a few conditions, they've had to have owned the home for 10 years, etc., but sold their principal place of residence to downsize, that they could take some of that equity and put it into super. In fact, up to 300000 per person, per individual. Uh, so if a, a couple sell, they can put up to 600000 into super. Uh, but the minimum age uh, was if you were 65 and over, they're reducing that to 60. Uh, so it could be a, a, an opportunity for people that are downsizing or have that in their strategy um, that uh, need to sort of boost their super. So they're the key elements that have come out of the budget. Um, now, if we, if we ask ourselves the questions, are they good? Uh, will they have any impact? Well, the first one in terms of uh, helping first home buyers um, these initiatives that, I mean, they're advertised to uh, really ease the housing affordability issue for first-home buyers. Uh, but I think, you know, given their scope is so limited, you know, $50,000 for a deposit, uh, that's not enough. 
uh, and the tax savings aren't really going to get people into that market quicker. Uh, and the uh, guarantee scheme, uh, again, 10,000 people, it's not a drop in the ocean. Uh, so it's, I mean, any initiative is good, um, but it's really not going to have any impact. Uh, what it might do, though, is stimulate the, uh, the sort of apartment market sector and potentially the investment-grade apartment market sector, uh, and that's a good thing. The reality is the only way to, to ease the housing affordability issue uh, is to make it uh, just as attractive to live in a regional area as it is to live in a capital city area. So to, to do that, there needs to be a massive infrastructure spend. They need to um, reduce travel times uh, to regional centres uh, and then make sure that regional centres provide just as good employment opportunities and recreational facilities uh, as is uh, in the uh, capital cities. Uh, that's not something that you could achieve uh, overnight. It would be a massive spend, a massive investment in our country, uh, and I'm not sure any government really has an appetite to do that. Uh, notwithstanding, we've probably borrowed uh, enough. It's going to reach about a trillion dollars uh, just to get ourselves through the COVID crisis. So uh, that's probably off the table, which means the housing affordability crisis, in inverted commas, I think will perpetuate in years to come. Uh, the incentives around business, which is really reducing the corporate tax rate, um, the incentives to uh, claim a, a full write-off or tax deduction for any investment and the loss carryback, um, those three initiatives are very good. Uh, we've seen in the US uh, Trump reduce the uh, corporate tax rate and it stimulated the economy significantly. The thesis behind it is that if companies pay lower um, tax, they've got more profits to distribute uh, and they've got more free cash flow to reinvest and grow. Uh, and, and that is a, a fundamentally sound uh, uh, rationale for uh, reducing corporate tax. Uh, plus also Australia needs to remain competitive to other corporate tax regimes around the world uh, to encourage uh, large corporates to invest in Australia. So I think that's a really good initiative. Um, the the childcare expense, uh, you know, increasing the subsidy is also good, uh, but probably not enough. Uh, childcare fees are ridiculous in Australia. You know, quite often uh, we balk at the cost of top tier private education, particularly in secondary schools. You know, some school fees are, are approaching you know thirty five or forty thousand dollars a year per child. Now that's a lot of money, and we all look at that and go, "Wow, that's expensive." Uh, but really, childcare is not much less expensive than that uh, in some circumstances. Uh, and if we really want to uh, think about productivity and getting people back to work, uh, we really need to have an affordable childcare system. So I'm not sure that subsidy uh, goes far enough. And the final initiatives in regards to super, which are really aimed at retirees, I think are positive. You know, people that are in their late 60s, 70s and 80s really haven't had the benefit as long as the rest of us or will have the rest of us as the compulsory contribution system. And so they haven't had the benefit of, you know, saving in super for 30 or 40 years, or they won't have like we will. Uh, and uh, so anything to, to encourage them to accumulate more retirement savings is obviously a good thing uh, and reduces the burden on the, on the welfare system. Uh, as far as opportunities for um, uh, wealth accumulators, you know, people in their 30s and 40s that are, that are investors themselves, 
there's not a lot in it for us. Uh, I guess one of the positives might be, you know, sort of underpinning demand in the property market, particularly for first home buyers. So anyone that's invested in an investment grade apartment, um, that's a positive uh, initiative, I think, that, that might have some impact in that market. Uh, whether it's going to be measurable impact, uh, who knows? Uh, but other than that, it's... Uh, the, the most encouraging signs, I guess, is that uh, the, the economy is pretty robust, uh, that the recovery is tracking really well, and, and ultimately we will all be beneficiaries of that. So that's it for me this week. Until next week, bye for now.